So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Your examples continue to trivialize this issue, but this is about protecting Canadian values. And as I said before, people... I mean, could you expand people, on that? I, 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 mean, sorry, I don't, I don't oh, understand how I'm, how I'm trivializing the issue. That was part of our conversation with Kelly Leach, and you'll hear that interview in the second half of the show. It got... A little tense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's Supriya's smug laugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it did get a little bit tense, but I think these sorts of conversations need to be had and make you feel like you're at a bad Thanksgiving dinner. We got into a lot of issues. We got into her transition from medicine into politics, as well as her ideas on Indigenous affairs. And we wanted to get into the environment, but Dr. Leach mostly wanted to talk about Canadian values, so we definitely got into that. But first, we're going to start with a parliamentary look ahead. We have Josh Wingrove joining us. He covers Parliament Hill for Bloomberg. We realize that Parliament has been sitting for a week, so we, you know some may consider this a week late. I consider this on time for Indian standards. <laughs> It's early for Kenyan standards. Yes, there you go. I'm Spree Devetti. I'm Vicky Mochama. And from Canada Land, this is Commons. Do you love books but never have time to read them? Because I know I do. I love audible.com because I can listen to books when I'm on the streetcar, when I'm on the subway. It really is great. Yeah, I'm heading on vacation soon, and so I'm excited to load up my iPhone with all sorts of books from audible.com for the plane. But it also works not only on iPhones, but iPads, Windows Phone, and Android. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. Audible.com has audiobooks from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazines, newspapers, and business information providers. And the great thing about Audible is that you own everything on there. You own your books, so you can access them at any time and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has a great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you choose, no worries. You can exchange your book with another title anytime, no questions asked. Vicky, what's a part of your little library that you're reading this week? I decided to finally buy the hype, and I got uh, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good book for our time, especially with you know all the action in the States and Black Lives Matter. And I'm super excited to just dive into that and listen to it. And just for our listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash CanadaLand today to start your free trial. Again, show your support for Commons and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash CanadaLand. All right, let's get into it with Josh Wingrove of Bloomberg. Josh, what are you most excited for in terms of the legislative calendar? I mean, I use excited loosely as a term, but I guess as far as excitement for political nerds go. So thrilled. Everything is going to be so thrilling this fall. 
<laughs> we do expect a mini budget, like uh, a fall update. Now, before everyone like falls dead asleep, the reason I think we're going to be looking to that is the economy sucks right now. Uh, it, it is worse than it was in March when the budget came out. Trudeau's aims for growth are not coming around. Uh, this government, I think, like many governments, realizes that the economy is consistently the number one issue and borrowing rates remain as cheap as ever. Uh, so will Trudeau go more into deficit to try to fast track stuff in a bid to get this sluggish economy growing? I, I think that will be a big one. And sometimes I feel like I'm on crazy pills in this town because like there's a lot of us that write about economics and a lot of people's job isn't to write about that but it almost feels like there's no urgency around this issue like basically every week or every second week there's been a bad economic indicator in Canada for the last three or four months so I, I don't know how that doesn't panic PMO I don't know how that doesn't panic the government eventually their hesitance to run an even bigger deficit might get swamped by that. I think more broadly, in terms of non-legislation, this is going to be a fall about energy. It's going to be a fall about pipelines. It's going to be a fall, therefore, about indigenous reaction therein. Trudeau's biggest promises, the people who with whom his expectations are the highest, are arguably indigenous Canadians. Every minister got a letter saying, this is job one, our most important relationship, more important than the U.S., more important than anyone else, is Indigenous people. And now he has to decide on three energy projects in the next three months that are massive at a time when we don't have a lot of economic growth to kick around, all of whom have Indigenous support and Indigenous opposition. And so I, I think that's going to be Trudeau's sort of reckoning over the next three months when it comes to pipelines. Do you think it's a little bit weird that we're not hearing more from the conservative leadership candidates on the economy? You know, Tony Clement is talking about terrorism. Kelly Leach is obviously talking about, quote unquote, Canadian values. Maxime Bernier did announce that he would repeal a capital gains tax or what was he saying? No capital gains tax. I missed that particular one. Maxime Bernier's answer to everything is unleash the power of the free market. Like you can ask him what he wants in his coffee and he will say he wants to unleash the power of <laughs> of the free market. So that wouldn't surprise me. But So, I mean, why aren't there conservative le- leadership guys talking about this? Like, isn't this something that they could be hammering Trudeau on if the economy is in fact Well, I think bad? Ronna Ambrose is hammering him, him on it, but, but, yeah, she is. but it's not really a crowd pleaser and it's, it's hard to campaign on like dour news. And there's also no real clear <laughs> answer. Western economies all over the world are struggling with this. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, there are reporters dealing with it. It's just, I don't sense urgency from, from MPs mostly. You know, if I was a liberal, you're riding high in polls, you know, everyone loves your prime minister, you know, things seem great, right? You're sort of drunk on the notion of liberal power in Ottawa. Like what keeps you up at night? Like what could derail this? I think it's a fairly short list. An economic crash is absolutely one of them. I think we should move on to our most likely twos. We just wanted to get a sense of, you know, what the year ahead looks like. So who do you think is the most likely to cause an actual brawl in Parliament? (laughs) Oh, uh, other than the prime minister? (laughs) Yeah. He, we already know he has loose elbows, so... Uh, <laughs> but, He's got loose elbows and a the, boxing the background. The prime, prime yeah. minister might be on it. Um, Dominic LeBlanc, I would say, would be my bet. Dominic is uh, unleashed now. He's no longer house leader. He's always got a bit of a pugnacious streak. I, I, I could see him uh, wanting to shake a fist at, <laughs> at one of the friends across the aisle. <laughs> I was going to say Tom Mulcair, because like, angry Tom's a thing, and now that he's kind of on his way out he might just be like well i'm not just angry i'm gonna punch like, someone like what is 
what is his deal right now? I, I don't know what is going on in that in that party. Chad Rogers, who's a, a conservative commentator, yeah, that's uh, one way to describe once wonderfully. Chad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once wonderfully said that Tom Mulcair is like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, in that he's the only one that doesn't know he's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What issue do you think is most likely to make an MP go rogue? Like, what's going to make an MP cross the floor or just you know go against the government? Not to sound like a broken record, but I think I think oil. I think if any cabinet minister quits over an issue, it's someone like Jody Wilson-Raybould over pipelines. We've already seen. Robert Falcon Ouellette speak out against Trudeau allowing the Sightsee Dam to continue. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, I think those ones really could pinch them. You know, we're, we're going on a year now, right? Like the, the interpersonal relationships that tend to drag down any caucus eventually are starting to come up. Certain cabinet ministers don't like other cabinet ministers. Certain MPs are not going to like other MPs. But in terms of really divisive issues where there are clear constituencies that expect a unilateral position, oil, oil, oil. That's the top of the list. And I'd be looking at Jody Wilson-Raybould. She was in the house the other day ducking the questions on Site C and everything and then standing up to, to talk about uh, Supreme Court nominations. But all the energy and pipeline decisions Trudeau has to make are in B.C. She's a ranking cabinet minister from B.C. And B.C. has more First Nations than any other province. She is, she is at the crossroads. How many times do you think Justin Trudeau will actually say I'm a feminist this House of Commons session? Not as many times uh, as he says middle class, but more than he says deficit. So like if you guys had a drinking game in the gallery, like you guys would just be like all drunk if you were drinking to middle class, oh, right? Oh, God. No, we wouldn't make it till noon. <laughs> Did you see me? The answer on the moving expenses was about the middle class initially. When they were trying to skate the issue of $220,000 in moving expenses, it related to the middle class. Trudeau came up and talked about the Chinese premier about how they made an agreement to grow the middle class. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? You were just in China. Is it just one of those things where it's like, if you don't want the press to print an answer, just put the word middle class in? Yeah. I mean, he had a press conference in the press theater here on, uh, on Wednesday, sort of an introductory welcome back press conference. And... If you had held a gun to my head and asked me to write a story about what he said in there, I would probably be dead. <laughs> Just wondering, since you've mentioned Tom Mulcair a bit, what do you think the NDP are going to do without a, a real leader? I think they and the Conservatives have a bigger problem than who their leader is. I don't think they have an identity. And they haven't decided on an issue or a theme that they can go into the next election with. Trudeau has totally eaten the lunch of the NDP, You know, other than going some sort of you know, leap manifesto, hail Mary into tinfoil hat territory. They don't really have an issue. Like what do they, what do they attack Justin Trudeau on? He's lowered taxes for middle incomers. He's expanded transfers to the elderly, expanded transfers to the unemployed. Other than the environment, I guess, they really don't have a raison d'etre at this point. And I don't know where they find one. So, uh, you know, if I was them, I wouldn't be so concerned about leaders. Like, what the hell is the purpose of our party right now? And, you know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, those flanks will crumble eventually for the liberals and the NDP need to be ready. And, they, and conservatives are the same thing. I don't, you know, I think they will be struggling to articulate a vision against Trudeau, regardless of who their leader is. It seems like they're now sort of leaning towards a, having a effectively a placeholder leader, sort of an uninspiring person who will come in, lead one election, and then be pushed out again. That's the sense I get from most conservatives. So You mentioned Trudeau's popularity. Um, what do you think is the one thing he can do to sort of unravel 
him flying high in the polls or just do, I guess, damage to his brand in general? Yeah. Can you really explain it? You know, like we were all paying attention two years ago and Trudeau was kind of a punchline among a lot of Canadians and the conservatives. Certainly they thought he was very insubstantial. You know, they would have no problem. And he had nice they, hair, though. He had nice <laughs> hair, though. Then they found out that, oh, my gosh, our focus groups and on attack ads don't work on this guy. He's got this like deep well of support from a nation who thinks he's their nephew because they saw him grow up in the public eye. And he's unattackable. That's why they had to go with those just not ready ads because it was the closest thing they could get to an attack. Now they're rock stars. I was there in his first trip overseas when we went to APEC in the Philippines where there was this shrieking mob that engulfed him uh, in last November. It was nuts. I'd never heard that particular octave in my life. And (laughs) and this was in a media center. All these people were reporters or like screened staff. It wasn't like he was in the public. This was in the media center. And the Filipino media were around him like Drake or something. Like it was wild. And so what brings it down? I don't know because I don't know what it's built on. It's built on domestically a feeling that this guy is like a son of Canada. And I don't know how that goes away necessarily. And abroad, it's built on this perception that he is, you know, young and cute and whatever. And they're not so much fussed with the Our woke feminist bay prime minister. Exactly. For sure. For sure. sure. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what takes it down. I mean... But we're already starting to see it come down a little bit, right? Like, who's the first groups that are going to be betrayed? I think it's going to be environmental groups and indigenous groups, probably, because he's signaling and we've reported that he just decided he wants at least one pipeline and that Kinder Morgan is the favorite. So is he Mr. Sunny Ways, Optimism, New Canada, if First Nations leaders are protesting in the streets or chaining themselves to trees on a pipeline route? Probably not. When you build your identity entirely on narrative. It doesn't take much to shred that narrative apart. So for instance, if the middle class starts feeling like they're in trouble, and this is the middle class government, that hurts them. All their seats are in major cities, and we've got what many analysts think is a risk of a housing market correction. If that goes down, and like 80 MPs of Trudeau are having every resident in theirs lose $100,000 in retirement equity in their home, that hurts the narrative. When you build your identity on narrative like they have so quickly, it is boom bust. Right now they are at a high ceiling, but the floor is super low. I think the Trudeau government or Trudeau's like instinct to want to promise everybody good times and good things is going to lead him to accidentally say the phrase all lives matter. And I feel like that's going to be what brings him down. <laughs> Josh, um, there's some major upcoming you know, legislation and policies that are going to be announced this year. Pot comes to mind. Amendments to Bill C-51. We're sending Canadian forces for peacekeeping slash defense. Electoral reform. The impending wall with America. <laughs> and, of, and of course, the uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women inquiry. Where do you think they're going to fuck up, I guess, is my question on any of these major issues? Well, you just named a lot of things that they've already delayed. And I would add climate change to the list. Right? They've, they've pivoted now from we will have a carbon price this fall to carbon pricing as part of the solution. And it seems like they're going to now allow Brad Wall to count carbon capture and storage as a carbon price. Uh, so they're backing off a lot of key things. The missing murdered Indigenous women issue, I think like the public opinion. 
opinion on that is pretty much unanimous. So I don't I don't think that will hurt him. I think climate change hurts him because it speaks to that Warzark test of like what kind of leader he is, what his environmental bona fides are. Uh, yeah, I would say I would say probably that. But C fifty one, like man, you know, that was a huge thing eighteen months ago, huge. And they define themselves differently from the NDP by coming out with this. They would argue nuanced position. Some else would argue mealy mouth position. And they've done nothing. They've done nothing. They did not get a lot of bills through in the spring. They've changed house leaders. We now have a, a house leader who's very well liked and accomplished. Seems you know Bardis Chager. She's been around politics a long time, but she's a first term MP. Who knows how swiftly she'll be able to master the crazy nuanced rules of parliamentary procedure to get their agenda out quickly. I mean, most people before her take forever to master that or never do. I mean, I certainly would have no idea where to begin. So she's got her work cut out for her. So all these things are already delayed. They're already like chipping away at the liberal narrative. The campaign platform is still in a PDF on their website and doesn't take much work to go and compare and see what they're doing. But on the China thing, did you two like watch any of that press conference? Yeah, I watched a bit of it. Yeah. So there's a good example. Like, are we going to extradite people to China? Well, we believe in the middle class. What? <laughs> like, we have no concept. What does that mean? Like, they're only going to extradite the lower classes and the wealthy? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. And this would have serious implications. Like, for instance, probably a not insignificant part of our housing sector, which is pretty much the only thing driving the economy at all, is from dissidents fleeing with their money from China. Josh, you want to just explain really briefly the extradition treaty issue? Yeah, so so we have been in this like paradoxical house of mirrors world in Ottawa for the last week with the Chinese visit. Trudeau gave a joint statement with the Chinese premier and no written release went out. They put nothing in writing. It's so bizarre. Every time a leader visits Ottawa, there is a press release and a backgrounder that is usually vague, but nonetheless, they put something out in writing that they've agreed to, a con- you know, whatever. Nothing. There's been a report that they're uh, talking about an extradition treaty, which would in effect bind Canada to send people back to face prosecution by China's quote unquote justice system, which we could do a whole podcast on... Yeah, I mean, they're not exactly a model for, like, justice and free speech and due process, exactly. Right, exactly. Like, the conviction rate is, I think, 3,000% for every case they hear. And, you know, the reports of torture and abuse and whatever. Anyway, I think a lot of Canadians would have a lot of problem with that. But apparently, we're talking about that now. Uh, But it wasn't really said. Apparently, we are talking about a free trade deal with China. Conservatives who really like free trade have problems with that because they think in a state-run economy like that, there really is no such thing as free trade. And yet, apparently, we're talking about that. We did restrict our borders to Chinese investment in the oil sands, and China really wants that lifted. And we apparently aren't talking about that, even though you know maybe that would be a good thing for uh, certain companies in the energy patch, uh, depending on who you talk to. So I've keep pinching myself this week thinking like, is this really happening? Did we have a Chinese premier here with basically managed to get away with not releasing any details whatsoever of what they talked about? And they made an agreement on canola, which the Chinese appear to have just like slapped a restriction on so that they could take it off and we could look like we got something. It's weird. It's been one of the weirder state visits or whatever they call them in a long time. 
Like we'll get more, we'll get more policy detail from Kate and Will than we got from the Chinese president. <laughs> So for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking to conservative leadership contenders. Uh, that continues today as we speak to Dr. Kelly Leach. She is the MP for Simcoe Gray. She is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, and she's really excited to hear Canadians talk about Canadian values, as you'll hear. <music> Kelly, a lot of people know you from the Canadian values debate that you triggered, and we'll definitely get to that. But first, we just want to learn more about you. If you had to write a one-line dating profile, what would it say? It's an interesting question. I've not been asked this before. <laughs> I think that I would just say, look, I'm a, I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. I love taking care of kids. I'm active and uh, interested in a lot of community activities. It's not really riveting, is it? Yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> online dating profiles just need to get to the, the substance of it all. Why did you decide to switch from medicine to politics? Now you still do medicine, but why, you know, why include this additional thing? I get asked that question a lot. You know, I was very fortunate. In 2010, I was in clinic and our former Minister of Finance, Jim Flaherty, called me and said, Hi, I hear you're running for office. At which point in time, I was a practicing surgeon full time. And I said, uh, no. And he said, no, no, no. The person who is representing your seat right now um, was just removed from cabinet and caucus. And uh, he said, you're going to run. And I said, no. And I thought that was the end of the conversation. And for the next four months, Jim Flaherty would call and ask me if I was running for office. You know, on occasion, talk to my dad or show up at the house and say, hi, I hear you're running for office. It was just easier to step up and run after the persistence. But the other part of it was that in 2006, I was asked to chair the panel on the children's fitness tax credit. It was the first time for myself as a physician that I could take my professional background and apply to public policy development. 8.5 million kids benefited from the children's fitness tax credit. And that reach, that ability to impact even more families was very compelling. And so when I had the opportunity to run in 2011, having talked to not only Jim Flaherty, but also to my medical mentors who said that there was an opportunity to impact more families, I decided that I would step up. You know, I, I had an opportunity, I guess it was just over a year ago, I, I met a mom and her daughter just before going into the OR. Little girl had broken her elbow, and so we talked about what we were going to do in the operating room, and I went in with the resident and our nurses and esthetists, and we fixed this little girl's elbow. I went back up to the waiting room afterwards to talk to mom. And I was chatting with mom, I was standing up, mom was sitting, and Mom kept looking at me and then looking above me, away from me, and then looking at me and looking above me and away from me and looking at me. And so I looked where she was looking, and it was me on the television. I was on the TV. And it was, <laughs> it was like, oh, this is awkward. And I sort of went, oh, and Mom went, oh, and put her head in her hands, and I thought, uh-oh, here we go. Mom's going to, like, put her head up and lambaste me, like, were you taking care of my kid? But Mom put her head up, and she sort of went, huh. And I was like, here we go. I'm ready. I'm stealing myself for this. And mom said, uh, I should have known who you were. You're the minister of labor and I'm a labor lawyer. And I was like, whew, thank gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after that, she started to talk to me, not about her little girl, but how her son needed a job. And I can tell you, I am so fortunate. I get to meet parents every week or each month, depending upon when I'm at the hospital. And they tell me exactly what they're concerned about. And, and for someone who has been in leadership roles, is in a leadership role, or will have uh, future leadership roles. 
Those are very powerful things to hear about because it's exactly what Canadians want. It's not filtered by anyone. It comes directly from them. And so whether it's about getting a job for this woman's son or whether it's about, quite frankly, fixing the roof on someone's arena or hearing about the roads and infrastructure, these are the things that I think keep me grounded to make good decisions for Canadians and Canadian families. And Canadians are proud. Canadians are believe we have a strong country. They have a certain set of values. They have a, a real Canadian identity. And they like to talk about it. How do you actually think we can get more young people involved in politics? You know, the last election, the Conservatives didn't do so well with the 18 to 35 demographic. How do you propose to get more into the Conservative fold? And I guess, you know, I, your leadership raised more specifically. Well, I just launched a large youth campaign. It's a, uh, a series of video vignettes of young people from across the country who are actively involved in my campaign and are encouraging others to. Um, I was involved in the conservative movement from a young age. I uh, had a membership since I was in my teens and have been an active volunteer since then. But I think the biggest part is you ask. You go out and speak directly to young people about what the opportunities are and how they can impact their country and how they can meaningfully participate in making sure that our country, Canada, is the best place in the world to live. And so what I'm doing is I'm going to campuses all over the country. I'm going to high schools across the country, and I'm talking to them about who I am, introducing myself, but also what I believe is a focal point for our country. And as I say for myself right now, that's a unified Canadian identity based on Canadian values. And, you know, those values of equality of opportunity, hard work that we know when people go out and work hard in this country, they're generous and give back. You know, that really is the Canadian way. Freedom and tolerance. That focal point of unified Canadian identity is is something I believe very strongly in. I think young Canadians particularly feel strongly about it. And it's in stark contrast to our current prime minister, who doesn't believe, has stated publicly uh, that there is no core identity. There is no mainstream Canada. There is a group in Canada who don't feel like they're part of mainstream Canada, and I'm talking about Indigenous people. Where do Indigenous people fit within this notion you are, of yours of having a singular or core Canadian identity? For myself, I think that Aboriginal Canadians share in those values. Um, I grew up in northern Canada in a place called Fort McMurray, and Fort McMurray is only about 3,000 people. When my parents moved there, I was in preschool, and it's surrounded by Cree reserves. And I can tell you that the individuals I grew up with, going to grade school with, all embrace these same values. They go out and work hard for their families every single day. And they want to live in a society where there is equality of opportunity. Dr. Leach, under the uh, Harper government, you introduced an action plan to address violence against Indigenous women and girls. Correct. Why didn't you go one step further and launch an inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women? Well, as I said in the... In the House of Commons, when that came forward, I was very clear, having gone out and spoken to families uh, across the country, families that hadn't been impacted by these tragedies, you know, had lost a loved one or were missing a loved one, they wanted the government to actually provide prevention campaigns for the future to make sure this never happened to another young young woman or, quite frankly, young man, older woman uh, who's an Aboriginal Canadian, and uh, a sense of forward motion that the, whether it's RCMP or local police and others were understood exactly what the dynamics were that were taking place. And so our action plan that we put forward, you know, support for shelters on reserves, as well as preventative programs was in direct response 
see what these families have spoken to me about. And I believe that that investment and those programs provided directly to families are far better than spending a significant amount of money on lawyers to talk about an inquiry. Do you support the inquiry now? Well, the inquiry is moving forward, so I think all Canadians are invested in it. I want to get started on uh, chatting about Canadian values, and you've mentioned it a couple times, but I want to ask, how do you propose that we define a system of Canadian values? Well, what I'm talking about right now is having a conversation, right? And so, uh, with respect to process, I'm involved in a very long campaign. We'll be coming forward with, in the future, other items and issues that we'll have a conversation about. But right now, what I'm looking for is, is a response of Canadians. And, uh, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised. The issues around um, having a unified Canadian identity, as we say, which is in stark contrast to our current Prime Minister, who believes we don't have a core identity as Canadians, is something Canadians want to talk about. The Liberal government will be coming forward with their own immigration plan in, in the future, I'm told sometime in November or December. And right now, the Minister of Immigration is talking about integrating increased numbers of immigrants and refugees into the country. And I guess my question for them is, if the Prime Minister does not believe we have a core identity, what are we actually integrating these people into? Nothing? You know, this is dangerous. This is concerning to me, that we have a Prime Minister who's a Canadian identity denier, and at the same time uh, wanting to integrate... (laughs) (laughs) Canadian identity denier? Like, you're making it sound like he doesn't believe in climate change. Um, I'm not sure what his position really is on climate change, but what I can tell you is he's quoted in the New York Times and in other places saying that he believes that there is no core identity to Canadians in this country. And I I am totally of Kelly, the isn't there... opposite, opposite viewpoint, which is I 100% believe we as Canadians share a set of values. What stopgaps have you identified in the immigration screening process that you think we need to propose extra measures for? Well, right now, as as I mentioned, you know, we'll come forward with issues around process in the future. But, you know, (laughs) we screen people at the border currently for medical issues. We screen them at the border for their income. I don't think it's such a stretch to ask them if they believe in the equality of women. This is an important Canadian value. You know, we in this country respect the right to freely worship or to choose not to worship. Here in Canada, we respect different cultures. I mean, respect different sexual orientations. But I can tell you that uh, issues around bullying and violence, misogyny, those aren't Canadian values. Your fellow Conservative colleague, MP Brad Trost, who is also running for leadership, you had him on the show recently, and this is what Mm -hmm. he had to say about your proposal. So we'll play that clip for you. Sure. Are you worried that people like yourself or other social conservatives would be screened out on this basis if she's talking about gender equality and marriage equality being fundamental Canadian values? It's funny that you should ask that. When I was reading about that, I googled up what the Belgian government has said on that issue. And yeah, if you don't support same-sex marriage and you're going to answer the question truthfully, you can't go to Belgium. So I don't think she really thought to her proposals. I think it was just a tagline she threw away and then, oops, she had to draw up something on the fly. But yeah. This is one of those things when you get a big government solution to something, what could be used to target one group of people can turn around and be used to target another group of people. What do you make of uh, Mr. Trost's comments there? I've been out talking and more importantly, listening to Canadians for months now. And the number one issue that comes up continually is about having a unified Canadian identity. That comes up more than the economy? If you just let me finish. 
that our values as Canadians are important and that we have a responsibility to protect those values. The reality is, is that our nation was founded on certain values, a belief in hard work, providing for yourself and your family, giving back to your community, helping those less fortunate. Those Some values, might argue that our nation values, was also founded on the wholesale values, murder of indigenous people. In. And those are the values I seek to promote. And those are the values that I think make Canada such a wonderful place. So to say that, you know, this was a throwaway line after the focus that I have placed on this and our continuous is complete nonsense. You've said that you were pro-life in the past. Um, Correct. One could very easily make the argument that if you do not respect a woman's right to choose, you don't respect her bodily autonomy, which is the fundamental basis of the quality of, of the sexes. So by your logic, wouldn't you then potentially be screened out by your own screening process? Well, look, living in Canada is about tolerance. So I personally am pro-life and I've stated that. But as I've also stated, I would have no intention. In fact, I voted against this issue when it was brought up in the House of Commons in the past. Canada is a place where tolerance is embraced, where we can have differences of opinions and then walk away peacefully, knowing that we've been able to choose how we conduct ourselves. So this issue, with respect to how you're raising it, is not the discussion point. The discussion point I'm talking about is if someone believes... But coming to Canada, that a woman is a piece of property, or someone who wants to come to Canada thinks that gays should experience violent behavior and violence towards them because of their sexual orientation, that's not a Canadian value. So, Kelly, what do we do about Canadians who live here who already believe that? Do they get kicked well, out of the country? Does everyone yeah. <laughs> get cur- who lives? Does everyone who's currently a citizen get surveyed? Look, I, I recognize your desire to go down a path to trivialize this, but let's be clear: we have a rule. Of law. I'm, I'm, I'm not trivializing have, it. I'm just curious have, the extent to which have, these values are applicable have, to you, ma'am. We have a rule of law in this country: individuals that commit violence against other Canadians feel the full weight of the law. But then, wouldn't that also apply to the people coming in? To your point about somebody who who thinks that gays should be experiencing violence. If they were to commit an act of violence against a gay person, we have a lot of statutes and legislation to we do you know, have take care of those people. In this country. Absolutely, we do in this country. And what I'm talking about, though, is about individuals who are refugees and immigrants coming into this country and making sure that they have that same value set. And that's a conversation Canadians want and are interested in having. So... I'm Kenyan and we immigrated when I was a kid and lots of people that I know also did a similar path. And so we have lots of Kenyan family members who come here. I would not say that all of them are particularly, you know, pro-women or pro-gay. But over time, after living here, they do become that way. They get to go to pride parades or they get to see their young girls grow up in a system that actually encourages them. But if you'd filtered them out long before they got here based on what they believed as immigrants, they wouldn't have gotten here. They wouldn't have become, let's say, better people. So my question is, how do you define... Canadian values so that it doesn't only end up including mainstream white Christian immigrants? I can't speak for your family, but I'm confident in saying that the majority of Canadians, whether they have families that arrived here as immigrants like mine did in the 1800s, or individuals that arrived here, as I say, just in the last week, that they share the value of equality of opportunity, that they came here because they saw this country as a place where they could have opportunities for their family, that they work hard, that they're generous and give back to their community that they're tolerant, and that they believe in freedom. So let's say somebody comes in, they're screened at the border, under your, you're your, your now prime minister, under your system, somebody's asked quite point blankly, um, do you believe in equality of the, of the sexes, or do you hate gay people? Can't somebody potentially, A, just lie 
And even if they do mark down that they do believe in equality of the sexes and they don't actually believe it, don't you have a right to believe or think whatever it is that you want, irrespective of you know what the government says? So I think that this is about the fifth time, I may be mistaken, that you're giving a very similar example. Your examples continue to trivialize this issue, but this is about protecting Canadian values. And as I said before, people... Could, I mean, could you expand people, on that? I, 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 mean, sorry, I don't, I don't oh, understand oh, how, I'm, oh. how I'm trivializing the issue. People who believe women are property should be beaten, bought, or sold. Or they believe that gays and lesbians should be stoned to death because of who they love. Simply don't share and don't have our basic Canadian values of respecting rights and freedoms. Intolerance of our differences and a peaceful approach to resolving them is really what this is about. And so... You can continue to ask me specific questions, this and that. As I mentioned before, we have screening processes now. I don't think it's a stretch to ask questions with respect to screening when it comes to values. And I'm looking forward to having this discussion with Canadians because they have overwhelmingly, in fact, the supermajority of Canadians has stated that they want to have this conversation. Have the people you, you've been speaking to, has anyone expressed the idea that perhaps screening people out on the basis of what they think or believe is a form of intolerance in itself? Have you been having that conversation? Um, look, those issues may come up, and I'm, I look forward to people raising whatever concerns they may have. That's what having a dialogue is about. Now, ladies, I appreciate that. How do you feel about you? Ma'am, I'm not sure which so, one of you was asking me the question. I appreciate all your time here. I have a, another appointment. I literally just had uh, a constituent come through the door here who was looking to speak to me at, at noontime, and we've already run a little bit over. And uh, I appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking to you sure, again in the future. You. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so Bye. much. Uh, and just for the record, um, we actually went over time by nine minutes because Dr. Leach did not pick up the first two times we called her. That's our show for this week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook by typing in Canada Land Commons into that search bar. Our producer is Kevin Sexton, and our music is by Nathan Burley. Our website is canadalandshow.com. You can email me, Vicky, at vicky at canadalandshow.com, or you can reach Supriya, supriya at canadalandshow.com. The Imposter comes out tomorrow, Shortcuts is out on Thursday, and we're back next week on Tuesday. If you're not already listening to The Imposter, you're going to want to do it now. It's an amazing show. Aaliyah is a really great host, and it's just so fucking entertaining to listen to. So if you're into arts and culture, subscribe to The Imposter. If you like our show, support us. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 